Chapter 3, An Eye Single, in the book Seeing with an Eye of Faith by Grant von Harrison. Even though the scriptures teach us to have an eye single to the glory of God, many Christians do not understand what this means. Most interpret this admonition in terms of the eyes they see the world with, not the mind's eye. It is impossible to understand what it means to have an eye single to the glory of God unless the scripture is interpreted in terms of the mind's eye. Once people make a clear distinction between actual sight and mind sight and are aware of the influence of the mind's eye on the inner self, they can begin to understand what it means to have an eye single to the glory of God. The composite of everything stored in our mind con constitutes our inner or true self. Therefore, our inclinations and attitudes are determined by what occupies our mind's eye. President Kimball has said, A man is literally what he thinks his character being the complete sum of all his thoughts. Kimball, page 103. He continued, How could a person possibly become what he is not thinking? Nor is any thought, when persistently entertained, too small to have its effect. The divinity that, ha that shapes our ends is indeed in ourselves. Kimball, page 104 through 105. Our true self is influenced by our premortal existence as well as our mortal life. Even though we do not have a conscious recollection of our premortal life, our premortal spirit influences our attitude and disposition in mortality. However, if our true self has unrighteous inclinations, they are not attributable to our premortal experience. Any unrighteous inclination we have is the result of something we have been exposed to in mortality. Our mind's eye is unpolluted at birth, as Bishop H. Burke Peterson explains. In our infancy, our minds were free from unrighteousness and unwholesome thoughts. We are innocent and untouched by the harmful effects of and influences of Satan. Peterson, page 71. Because it is only in mortality that our mind's eye is exposed to unrighteousness, we should carefully guard what enters in its view. Bishop H. Burke Peterson explains the effect of things we, ha we hear, read, and see on our inclination to be righteous or unrighteous, and our ability to make good decisions. Quote, Regardless of what others may do, we should not view or talk about suggestive movies. Shun them as you would the plague. A good movie with only a little pornography or, or vulgarity is not a good movie. Avoid pornographic magazines or pictures or music. And I plead with you, be careful of the music or retelling filthy jo jokes or crude stories. Once in a while, we should stop and ask ourselves, in whose army are we fighting? Whose battle lines are we defending? Satan's or the Savior's? We are in one, of, we are in one or the other, and like it or not, our actions signal our true allegiance. Do you have the courage to walk away from an off-colored video or movie? Or do you watch, listen, absorb, and suggest to yourself, this soon will pass, or everyone is doing it. It must be acceptable entertainment. Have you the courage to keep out of your home television shows and videotapes that are filled with suggestive sexual conversation and even visual experiences? I think one of the subtle dangers that we face are the so-called soaps. They tell, teach, and display the deterioration in morals and in marriage. 
Have you thought lately of how effective these shows are in piercing even the strongest spirit? We must not feed ourselves a diet of trash. We become what we think. We think about things we hear and read and see. Now, I am not suggesting that if you see immorality displayed in a movie, you are going to be involved in immorality. Some will in the process. But I do know this. There will be a dilution of spiritual strength within you that will have its long-term effect. Even if you never get involved in an immoral act, every time you put some of this material into your mind, your righteousness and your power to do good, to think clearly, and to make decisions that are proper will be diluted. End quote. Peterson 72, 3. We use the words like sentiments, disposition, inclinations, inner desires, innermost feelings, and psyche in our efforts to describe the influence of our true self on behavior. The part of us that constitutes true self exists separately and distinctly from intellectual thought. In contrast, our perceptions of desired self exist only as an intellectual thought. True self is what we are. Desired self is the ideal we have formulated in our mind regarding who we feel we should be. Our life is governed substantially by our true self, not our intellectual understanding of right or wrong or by what we know to be best. This helps explain why we can do something we know is wrong. As a general rule, we fail to live in total accord with what we know is right or best. We are not always true to our conscience. Most people realize this realize there is a discrepancy between their desired self and their true self. When we are not true to our conscience, we experience guilt, frustration, discouragement, dis- depression, and loss of self-confidence. If the discrepancy between true self and desired self is too great, our lack of self-control and hypocrisy will result in instability. The Lord has warned, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James 1.8 Hypocritical people have difficulty determining what constitutes their true self. They become confused about their true inclinations, feelings, attitudes, and beliefs. Uncertainty about one's true self results in loss of self-confidence and self-esteem. It is hard to understand why we have distorted perceptions of our true self. Since we observe our every act and are aware of our thoughts, to some extent, gaining a clear perception of true self would not seem difficult. But awareness of true self is actually elusive. Consequently, we become perplexed over failing to be the person we think we should be. We do not understand why we do some things we know we shouldn't and why we do not do some things we know we should. Some people become so confused regarding self that they question their value system and become uncertain about philosophical and religious convictions. Throughout life, we form perceptions about other people we meet. If we maintain contact with them over a long period of time, we usually come to know them quite well. We discover how they think, how they react in various situations, and what they value. To some extent, we can predict what they will do and say in certain situations. Ironically, even though we live with ourselves and can be aware of our every action, word, and thought, sometimes we know others better than we do ourselves. Uh, when we do things that violate our conscience and then rationalize, justify, excuse ourselves, and blame others or situations for our conduct, we engage in self-deception. Fortunately, 
Most people attempt to hold on to their values and convictions even though they become frustrated in trying to comply with everything they know to be true and right. Their inner sense tells them to keep trying despite their failings. Often, our distorted perceptions about self interfere with our ability to relate to other people. Professionals who have extensively studied self-deception conclude that most interpersonal problems result, result from distorted perceptions about self. When people have distorted perceptions of themselves, they often blame others for their failure to be the person they desire to be. They fail to realize the crux of the problem, they, that they do not know their true self. Although it is difficult to have an accurate perception of self, knowing our true self is one of the most important lessons of life. Brigham Young stressed, the greatest lesson you can learn is to learn yourselves. Journal of Discourses 8, 334. He also taught that man cannot know God unless he knows himself. Journal of Discourses 1675. Consequently, knowing ourselves is essential to meaningful worship, and meaningful worship is critical to self-esteem and happiness. Coming to know our true self is one of the most challenging tasks we may face in mortality. In fact, it is virtually impossible unless we are very earnest in our desire to do so. Then, and only then, will we be able to realize true and accurate perception of self. Some things about our true self can only be understood through personal revelation. There are other indicators of true self. However, we can review quite easily. If we are aware of these indicators, and if we can learn to be consistently mindful of them, and if we are sincere in our desire to know our true self, we can have a fairly accurate perception of our true self. When we seek that perception, we are being obedient to the Lord's commandments to watch ourselves. Mosiah 4.30 One of the most obvious indicators of true self is our use of time. Some time must be devoted each day to certain necessities like sleeping and eating. If someone is employed, a certain amount of time is spent working. For students, so many hours a day are spent in class. Other activities require a regular time commitment as well. How we make use of time when we are assigned or required to do something is an indicator of self. However, how we choose to use our free time reveals our true self even more. Here are a few revealing questions we can ask ourselves about our use of free time. Bullet point. To what extent do I make constructive use of my free time? Bullet point. How many things do I accomplish a day during my free time that are pre-planned? Bullet point. How much of my free time is devoted to constructive things I do as a result of my own initiative as compared to things I have to do? Bullet point. How much of my free time is spent serving others? What we choose to do when we are free to choose is an important indicator of true self. It reveals to what degree we are inclined to follow the Lord's admonition to not be idle. Um, if during the, a day we are prone to waste time and accomplish few things that are pre-planned, we will always be confused about our true self. Consequently, we will continually be frustrated with life to some degree. The first step in learning to be true to our conscience is to make a consistent effort to accomplish pre-planned things each day during our free time. It is helpful to have a list of things we want to accomplish every day, as well as ongoing projects that we attend to when we have free time. 
In addition to making constructive use of free time, we should strive to devote some time every day serving the interests of others. We will find that constructive use of time, per se, will give us a sense of accomplishment, but we will never experience the ultimate fulfillment until we put the welfare of others before our own. The basic tenet of the gospel of Jesus Christ is, He that loseth, loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew 10, 39. One of the most damning traits in our modern society is the tendency to serve our own interests when we have free time. Church leaders make it clear that there is nothing wrong with appropriate recreation and diversion. However, when our whole orientation is self, our relationship with our Father in heaven becomes distant. When this happens, we are prone to be disgruntled with ourselves and those with whom we associate. In contrast, when we feel good about ourselves, we feel good about others. And when we feel good about our others, we will feel good about life. We have God's absolute assurance that if we sincerely try to serve others consistently during our free time, He will bless us. Our personal needs will be met as we meet the needs of others. Another indicator of self is how we view and handle responsibility. Most of us have responsibilities at home, work, church, and school. We can learn a great deal about our true self by answering the following questions. Do I delight in responsibility or do I view it as an imposition? Do I complete responsibilities promptly or do I attend to them at the last minute, if at all? Do I merely do what is required of me or do I take pride in doing things well? Am I happy to assume responsibility? Do I avoid responsibility? Our life will never be in harmony with the gospel of Jesus Christ until our attitude towards responsibilities is Christ-like. Prophets in all ages have made it clear that the Lord expects us to enjoy things that serve the righteous interests of others. Matthew twenty-five forty. The third prime indicator of true self is our speech, especially our casual conversations. Casual conversations reveal our true self because we express our inclinations, sentiments, desires, motives, values, priorities, beliefs, and dispositions, whether we intend to or not. If we carefully scrutinize our conversations, we will become better acquainted with ourselves. We will come to know the things we really value and the sentiments of our heart. Brigham Young understood this basic truth, quote, if you wish a man to portray himself faithfully, you must get him to talk, and I will ensure that the organs of speech will show out the true state of the mind, sooner or later, and reveal the fruit of his heart. No man can hide it if he is allowed to talk. He will be sure to manifest his true feelings. End quote. Journal of Discourses 3 237. In addition to disclosing our true selves, Conversations are important because of how they affect both the speaker and the listener. The Apostle James warned that the tongue can defile the whole body, James 3.6. Ephesians admonishes, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, Ephesians 4.29. Our conversation can ultimately determine our salvation. The prophet Alma warned that if we fail to internalize the gospel of Jesus Christ, our words will condemn us. Alma 12:14. The Lord himself has warned, 
But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by the words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Matthew twelve thirty six through thirty seven, Ephesians five four, DNC eighty eight one twenty one, DNC one o eight seven, DNC eighty eight one twenty four. We have the responsibility to watch our words. Mosiah four thirty. Inappropriate conversations are as wrong as inappropriate conduct. Both are offensive to God. We need to overcome our tendency to include fault-finding, gossip, sarcasm, lies, half-truths, profanity, and vulgarity in our conversations. The Lord has promised that if we learn to bridle our tongues, we will be blessed with enough willpower to overcome our weaknesses. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. James 3, 2. As we learn to bridle our tongues, we will be able to eliminate envy and strife from our lives. We'll, we will become peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without par- partiality and without hypoc- hypocrisy. James 3.17 Thus refraining from speech that offends God is key to self-control. James 3.2-4 explains, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Bridling the tongue leads to integrity in our worship of God and in living righteously. We have the assurance that if we consistently refrain from saying things that offend the Lord, we will be blessed with self-control. And with self-control, we will have strength to be true to what we know is right and best under all circumstances. The reverse is also true. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. James 1, 26. When a person becomes susceptible to self-deception, he is unstable and will be insincere in his righteous acts. God has said a man being evil cannot do that which is good, for if he offereth a gift or prayeth unto God, except he shall do it with real intent, it profiteth him nothing. Moroni 7.6 It is impossible to be sincere in our efforts to be religious if we persist in using language that offends the Lord. What kind of speech is offensive to God? Certainly we should refrain from profanity and vulgarity, but we must also avoid humor that refers to or implies anything related to sex in any way. Likewise, suggestive comments are inappropriate. Sarcasm, the most common form of humor today, can also be offensive to God. No set of circumstances justifies sarcastic remarks about someone nor about sacred things. Even if our intent is not to hurt or criticize, such sarcasm is wrong. Most people fail to realize that some forms of sarcasm are a sin. Consequently, close friends, or worse, husbands and wives, think nothing of making a sarcastic remark to or about each other in jest. Sarcastic remarks that are contrary to the mind and will of God are inspired of the devil. 
Of all of the temptations we face, we are most vulnerable to the temptation of making inappropriate remarks, especially when we encounter stressful situations. No set of circumstances justify inappropriate language. We should never make comments we would not make in the presence of the Lord. Controlling our conversations is not easy. However, if we do not refrain from inappropriate conversations, our receptiveness to inspiration will always be limited, and our judgment will consistently be poor. In contrast, if we refrain from inappropriate conversations, our perceptiveness to inspiration will be keen, and we will be blessed with good judgment. Example, we will make good decisions influenced by inspiration. Brigham Young promised, quote, If you first gain power to check your words, you will then begin to have power to check your judgment. End quote. Jo- uh, Journal of Discourses 698. Every day we make numerous decisions. Poor judgment and indecision are two causes of many problems we encounter. If we refrain from inappropriate conversation, we will be blessed with the ability to be efficient in making good decisions and problems that result from poor judgment will be eliminated from our lives. The Holy Ghost is another blessing from the Lord that can help us refrain from saying offensive things. That is why it is so important to live worthily of the gift of the Holy Ghost. DNC 18.18 When we are unrighteous, not only will we lack the resolve to refrain from inappropriate conversation, We will lack the spiritual discernment to to know when our speech is offensive to the Lord. Our resolve should be to live worthily of the companionship of the Holy Ghost. Then, with the assistance of the Holy Ghost, we will be able to consistently determine if our words offend God. When we realize something we have said has offended God, we should take steps to repent of our transgression. We need to acknowledge our transgression to God and resolve to refrain from similar speech. True repentance requires us to forsake the sin. It is essential that we learn to be as contrite for inappropriate conversations as we are for inappropriate behavior. And it is important that we remember that no matter how good our intentions, without the influence of the Holy Ghost in our lives, we will not have the necessary resolve to refrain from inappropriate speech. The best indicators of self are our thoughts. Our conversation is usually a result of those thoughts, and our thoughts are a window to our inner self. President David O. McKay said, Tell me what you think about when you do not have to think, and I will tell you what you are. Gospel Ideals, page 401. Not only do our thoughts reveal our true self, but by means of our thoughts we can change our true self. Anciently, the Lord revealed, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7 Regarding how thoughts influence us, President Kimball quotes David O. McKay as saying, The thought in your mind at this moment is contributing, however infinitesimally, almost imperceptibly, to the shaping of your soul. Even passing and idle thoughts leave their impressions. Kimball, page 105 This statement is profound. The Lord has made it very clear that we are not victims of our true self. Rather, if our, if our will is inconsistent with the mind and will of God, we can change it by changing our thoughts. When people are successful in changing how they think, we say they have experienced a change of heart. When we are con- contrite and sincere in our desire to repent, 
The Spirit of the Lord can cause us to have a change of heart instantaneously. The atonement makes this possible. In most instances, when the word heart is used, it refers to the mind's eye or to one's inner self. The following scripture illustrates this point. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that, that which is evil. For of the abundance of his heart his mouth speaketh. Luke 6.45, Romans 10.10, Helaman 12.4 What spontaneously occupies our mind's eye when we exert no control over it reflects the very core of our inner self. If we make it a practice to notice what we think about, we will see our true self. Our real sentiments and inclinations will become apparent. Satan desires unrighteous thoughts such as resentment, pride, envy, bitterness, hatred, vanity, and lust to occupy our mind's eye. The thoughts that occupy our mind at any moment are either righteous or not. We err when we assume our passing or idle thoughts are of no consequence. We need to realize they shape our inner self as much as other thoughts that occupy our mind. We have the responsibility to watch our thoughts and to judge whether or not they are appropriate. If they are inappropriate, they are inspired of the devil. See Moroni 7, 12-19 If our light is not sufficient, we will not be able to determine when our thoughts are inappropriate. 3 Nephi 13.23 We will lack accurate judgment, and the Lord will hold us strictly responsible for our thoughts even if we judge wrongfully. See Moroni 7.18-19, Alma 12.14 Besides unrighteous thoughts, anxieties and doubts also impede our ability to receive light. We should be resolved to eliminate anxieties and doubts from our thoughts. As long as we allow inappropriate things to occupy our mind's eye to any degree, we will not be able to refrain from sinning. See 2 Peter 2.14 As Emerson states, we know that the ancestor of every action is a thought. Emerson, page 1. President George Q. Cannon, a former counselor in the First Presidency of the Church, said, If a man be pure in thought, he will be correspondingly pure in action. But if he allows his mind to roam in unrestricted freedom through the various avenues of evil or to dwell unchecked upon the contemplation of forbidden indulgences, it will not be long before his feet tread those paths and his hand plucks the tempting but deceitful fruit. When once the tempter gains the citadel of his heart, his power is very great, and there is no knowing to what excess of folly and crime he may incite his unhappy victim. Canon, page 200. We can exercise agency in what we choose to think about as literally as we exercise our agency in what we choose to say or do. As we bridle our tongue and make wise judgments, we will at length actually gain power to check our thoughts and reflections. Journal of Discourses, 698. When we gain control of our thoughts, we are worthy to be blessed with the gift of charity, the pure love of Christ. When we truly love Christ, we will love our fellow men, and our acts of righteousness will be based on pure motives. We are admonished to pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart, that we may be filled with charity. Moroni 7.48 
When charity is central to our thoughts, we will be patient, kind, free of envy, and free of vanity or pride. We will not be easily provoked. Our mind's eye will be free of evil thoughts. We will abhor iniquity, delight in truth, and our attitude will be one of faith and confidence. Moroni 7.45 When we are in this frame of mind, we are serving the Lord with an eye single to His glory. Having an eye single to the glory of God does not mean we think about God all of the time. The Lord's glory includes everything that is virtuous, lovely, of good report, praiseworthy, constructive, and wholesome. Keeping our mind's eye single to the glory of God also intensifies our appreciation for the scriptures. We will delight in reading them. Such was the case with Nephi. And upon these I write the things of my soul, and many of the scriptures which are engraven upon these on the plates of brass. For my soul delighteth in the scriptures, and my heart pondereth them, and writeth them for the learning and profit of my children. Second Nephi 4.15 we will also begin to keenly sense our imperfections, and we will rejoice in the power of the atonement and the Lord's goodness on our behalf. Again, Nephi's life provides an excellent example. Nevertheless, notwithstanding the great goodness of the Lord in showing me these great things and marvelous works, my heart exclaimeth, O wretched man that I am! Yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh, my soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I am encompassed about because of the temptations and sins which do easily beset me. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. My God hath been my support. He hath led me through mine afflictions in the wilderness, and he hath preserved me upon the waters of the great deep. He hath filled me with his love, even into the consuming of my flesh. Second Nephi 4, 17-21 once we have an eye single to the glory of God, the spirit of revelation will be in us, like a well of water springing up to everlasting life. Journal of Discourses 12.103 With the spirit of revelation, we will be able to consistently discern when our thoughts, conversations, or conduct are inappropriate. This discernment enables all who possess it, as Brigham Young stated, to understand truth from error, light from darkness, the things of God from the things not of God. Journal of Discourses 13, 336. The light that comes from keeping an eye single to the glory of God also inspires us regarding what we should pray for. DNC 4630. We will be filled with desire. 3 Nephi 1924. When our desires are pure, we will pray with real intent of heart. As we begin to pray to the Lord with real intent of heart, our desires to fast will increase, and we will rejoice in the opportunity fasting provides us to draw close to the Lord Jesus Christ. We will not experience the physical discomfort so often associated with fasting. Having an eye single to the glory of God does not mean a person is perfect. It means a person's mental energies are not encumbered with things that are contrary to the mind and will of God. Perfection is not possible in mortality, but it is possible to gain sufficient control over our thoughts that our mind's eye does not, re not view or consider things that are offensive to the Lord. Having our mind's eye single to the glory of God is the ultimate level of dedication attainable in this life. As Brigham Young said, The greatest mystery a man ever learned is to know how to control the human mind and bring every faculty and power of the same in subjection to Jesus Christ. This is the great mystery we have to learn while in these tabernacles of clay. Journal of Discourses 1, 46-47
When our mind's eye is single to the glory of God, our body will be filled with light, and there shall be no darkness in us, and we will be able to comprehend all things. DNC 88.67 It is one thing to be aware of this promise and something entirely different to understand what it means. When our body is filled with light, we will be motivated by the pure love of Christ. Consequently, when we are faced with challenges, examples, parenthood, work, church, callings, we will never fail. Moroni 7.46 and 1 Corinthians 13.1-13 We will be we will be blessed with the ability to handle every situation effectively. Here are the words of H. Burke Peterson regarding this profound promise. Quote, when you are in tune with the Spirit, you can handle any problem. I don't want to make you think that those who are in tune with the Spirit don't have problems. Everyone has them. But when you are in tune with the Spirit, you are able to quote with the situation. End quote. Peterson, page 70. Others will not always respond in righteousness to what we do or say, but we will not be held accountable for the failings and the shortcomings of others. When the natural inclination of our inner self is to do things that are edifying and constructive, to serve others, or to advance God's work, etc., we will begin to think in ways we have never thought before. Our thoughts will begin to be one with God. Once our mind's eye is in harmony with the mind and will of God, we will receive a total remission of our sins. Yea, come unto Christ, and be perfected in him, and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And if ye shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness, and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you, that by his grace you may be perfect in Christ. And if by the grace of God you are perfect in Christ, ye can in no wise deny the power of God. And again, if ye by the grace of God are perfect in Christ, and deny not his power, then are ye sanctified in Christ, by the grace of God, through the shedding of the blood of Christ, which is in the covenant of the Father unto the remission of your sins, that ye become holy without spot. Moroni 10, 32-33 Once our mind's eye is single to the glory of God with some degree of consistency, the Spirit will enlighten us regarding our true self. We will realize that the Spirit can reveal more to us about our true self in an instant than we can learn through hours of counseling and psychotherapy. We will begin to understand ourselves in ways we previously didn't consider. With this insight, we will become much more effective in our efforts to make our desired self our true self. The Lord has warned, if we do not watch ourselves and our thoughts and our deeds and observe the commandments of God, even unto the end of our lives, we must perish. Mosiah 4.30 Becoming acquainted with our true self and taking steps to make our desired self our true self are essential to our salvation. If we are sincere in, a, in our desire to learn to serve with the Lord with an eye single to his glory, we will be earnest in watching ourselves. If we persist in watching our use of time, our attitudes regarding responsibilities, our conversations and thoughts, our obedience to the promptings of the Spirit, in time our mind's eye will become single to the glory of God. If we persist in our efforts to serve the Lord with an eye single to His glory, His Spirit will wrought a mighty change in us and we will have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. See Mosiah 5.2